You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal every single week to bring you content that is not just spoken to the rural church, but is spoken by people who get it, people who have walked that road, who have ministered in those places, who have loved small towns well. Every week, we are just hoping that if you're tuning in, whether you're a bivocational pastor or a full-time pastor or even a, a deacon or a Sunday school teacher, that you are finding information that speaks directly to the heart of what it's like to minister and work and do God's work in small places. Uh, I'm your host, Joe Epley, and today I'm excited for our conversation. We're going to be talking with Pastor Tom Burkholder out of Ord, Nebraska, and uh, and we have some great topics to cover today. Some of our conversation is is really you know, what does it look like when it when you come into the rural from the outside? You know, what does it look like to be bivocational and and all these different things? And so I'm excited to jump in with him. But first, I just want to uh, extend a welcome to our guest. And so, Pastor Tom, how are you doing, sir? Doing great. Had a great day. Awesome. And we're hoping to continue that. You know, I don't know what the weather looks like in Ord, Nebraska today, but I'm sitting in southeastern Montana. And somehow in March, there's just still snow everywhere. And it snowed more this morning. And so... You know, I don't know what it's like for you, but, you know, hopefully in better, better places than I am. So, yeah, I uh, so I do want to dive in here. And uh, the first question we always ask our guests is um, maybe describe your background, your ministry background and your connection to the rural church. Because, again, uh, we're not just looking at this saying, hey, who could speak? It's like, hey, wh- where have you been? What have you done? Just kind of give us a snapshot, and, and, you know, up to where you are now. So. Sure. Uh, Thanks for having me, Joe. Appreciate it. Uh, My background is not rural. Uh, I grew up in a church uh, in Springfield, Illinois, that was uh, four or five hundred people. Grew up in a church doing all the all the, um, you know, larger church type of functions and larger church type of things. And um, then um, when I went to Bible college, I met my wife um, at a nearby church. And um, we got married and and God opened a door for us to start pastoring in a in a rural setting and um, never thought I'd be in a rural church. Never thought I'd be in a rural setting, but I that's where God led us to. And uh, my high school had um, more in the ninth through 12th grade than the town that we pastored in in Missouri. <laughs> and uh, so we were there for 10 years and um, God did some great things. They were going to close the church. It had been without a pastor for a while. Um, it had been through a pastor. About every two years, they got a new pastor. And all of the pastors for 20-some years had commuted from towns as far away as two hours. Oh, wow. And so they were just there on the weekends. And so we actually lived in the community, got jobs in the in the area, and, and God blessed us. And, and we got the church turned around and out of a financial mess and and uh, then we left there and then we moved to uh, to Nebraska about 20 years ago and uh, have been here in Ord. And Ord's a town of about um, 2,100 people or so. And um, so we're um, love it here. I mean, you know, it's a great small town and, and uh, a great area to be in. So awesome. Well, yeah. Story. Yeah. And glad to hear it. And it, it is. And we're going to dive into that aspect of your story um, of just like, what is it like, you know, to kind of come in 
from the outside, but, uh, but yeah, what a, what a ministry. I mean, 30 years, that's, that's just powerful stuff and loving places that, that again, you know, the, the classic small town stigmas, Hey, here's, here's an overlooked place and somewhere that, that, you know, not everyone always feels like has something going on. And yet the Lord opens that door, uh, for you to minister there, man, that's powerful stuff. Right. right. Well, uh, yeah. Question for you then. So you mentioned you weren't raised rural and even your first church and your expectations really didn't lean towards rural. Can you tell us what was it that really captured your heart for the rural church? Yeah. Um, so when we went to our first church, the first thing I noticed was the slower pace uh, of life. You know, growing up in the city, everything was bam, 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 you know, instantaneous everything. And the and the much slower pace, uh, going to the grocery store and running into people um, and just spending time there, visiting with people, uh, praying with people in the store, or sometimes at your secular job. When I when we pastored in Missouri, I worked at a local uh, newspaper, a weekly newspaper, and um, I was in charge of the office there. And, you know, people would come in to pay their utility bill every every month and I'd get a chance to pray with people to talk to people and so there's a sense of family there's a sense of connection that you sometimes lose in your larger um, city settings just in the community in general and so the people in rural areas they they've chosen to give up income to give up conveniences um you know where I live right now it, it takes us an hour to get to a local Walmart. So we people have chosen to live in these rural areas because it's family friendly. Your kids can ride bikes around town. You know, um, they can they can go to the pool and you don't have to worry about their safety. You don't have to worry about about certain things. And so it's really a nice family environment. And so a lot of people are choosing to come back to the area, maybe getting an online job or uh, working in something uh, that they can drive to. We have people here in our community that commute an hour to work just so they can live in a small community mm. close to family. Yeah. And honestly, uh, you know, one of the things that, that's our goal on this podcast is to uh, constantly be combating that narrative that rural is, is, you know, this undesirable place, because it's true what you said. I mean, uh, my own, uh, you know, my spouse works in economic development and, and she helps out rural communities. And she talks a lot about this, this concept of rural remigration, where people are saying, Hey, these small towns have open doors that other places don't have as readily available. Even what you said about, uh, you know, just seeing someone in the store or someone comes into your secular workplace and you get this opportunity to say, Hey, you know, can we just pray together right now? And it's that that living life with that is has such power for a pastor to take advantage of and to jump into. And and again, even coming as an outsider, you know, we notice things and go, well, yeah, like here here's something I can grow into and grow to love and see God work through. And I think that's an important journey for everybody. And I think the reverse is true too. I would hope that any rural pastor uh, would be willing to undertake that journey and say, hey, what if God ever calls me to a larger place? How can I learn to love? what is an equally viable, equally valuable context for the gospel right. to spread. And so, so it's yeah. cool to hear, hear that aspect, you know, of your journey. Yeah. And, and, you know, like when I worked, I, when we moved here to, uh, to Ord, Nebraska 20 years ago, I got a job at a local bank and uh, did teller work, did personal banking, help people with loans and accounts and things through the years. And um Worked there for quite a number of years and got to know people in the community. Don't go to our church. Don't go to church anywhere. And um, 
here in the last few years, I've gotten calls from the local funeral home that says, well, so-and-so passed away. I don't know if you remember them from the bank. I'd say, Sure. Sometimes I'd say, oh, yeah, I remember them. And sometimes I'd say, no, I just don't really the name doesn't ring a bell. But but um, what's what's going on? And and so they'd request that I would do their funeral because I was their banker for <laughs> a period of time. And so, I mean, that you never know sometimes in rural ministry what type of connections and relationships and how that dovetails into living life. Uh, because rural community is, you know, is that interconnection of relationships and families. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, so one of my questions then, and and it's mostly, this is mostly a personal curiosity of mine. And I ask a lot of people this question, um, but coming into to rural from the outside, and then again, living here 30 years, you know, and ministering these communities um, first in, you know, uh, um, you know, now in Ord and then first in uh, Missouri, right? Was it Missouri or yeah. Illinois? Missouri, yeah, yes. Missouri. So Missouri, you know, and now in Nebraska. Um, has there any, has there been anything you noticed that for lack of a better term, when you walk into the rural church that you have tried to quote unquote fix or maybe a blind spot that you feel like represents a particular challenge? Because what we don't want to do and what we're not trying to do is we don't want to bash the rural church. We don't want to walk in and say, well, you know, this is that. But we should not have rose-colored glasses either. As someone who loves right. the rural church and has lived here and served right. here 10 years of my life, I still want to lovingly look at the church and go, hey, what are some areas that represent more challenge to a rural setting or, or maybe a big blind spot? And so what have you seen in that area? Well, some of the things that I've seen is that while rural ministry is very rewarding, it does come with its challenges and the fact that the slower pace of life means that change takes longer. Mm. And change in a local community and in a local church takes a process of time. Sometimes guys go into the local church and they change this, they change that. And, and sometimes they tick people off, they leave. Well, in a city, you've got a big pool of people to draw from. You know, sure. they might leave, they might leave your church, but there are people that are ticked off of the pastor over there, and they're they're leaving there and coming to your church and show you have this shuffling of things. In rural communities, you don't have as much of that. You do have some, but you sure. don't seem to have sure. as much of that. And so, if I could go back thirty years and talk to my younger self, I would say, take a breath. Sure. Find out why they do what they do. Mm. Find out the reasons behind some of the things. What is their thinking? And so when you do that, when you enter into the church and you and you because when you look at it from their perspective, I mean, especially our first church that went through pastors every two years. Yeah. Unless they're just going to bid their time until you're gone because they know right. you're out the door. Yeah. We were the longest term. We were there 10 and a half years and we were the longest term pastor in that 50 plus year church history. Wow. Um, there had been a couple pastors that had stayed four or five years, six years, but but nobody had stayed longer than that. And so you look at that and they'll just bid their time. They won't they may not fight you, but they not they're not going to get on your bandwagon. And so right. I think so some of the struggles is the fact that, you know, we have to be understanding of 
the the process that people have to go through for change in a small setting sure. because you know you you don't have the numbers to draw from and so one of the things about small communities now the small community we live in in, in Ord, Nebraska that this community embraces people pretty well we have people nice. move in um, they they embrace some of the new doctors at the hospital to new sure. teachers that are moving in they, they embrace pretty good our first 10 years of pastoring in Missouri that was a closed community and they were not mm. we were there for 10 years and well you just don't understand our community because you wow. didn't you were born here Right. You didn't and raise so, your kids here. You didn't do, you know, right. K through 12 here. You didn't. Yeah. All those things. Exactly. You you don't understand what's going on here. You know, so each community has its challenge. We we've said for many years, my wife and I have said that every, every small community has its own personality. Oh, sure. So yeah. That personality. Then when you're coming from the outside in, then you you have to kind of work within that personality and how are we going to um how are we going to impact the community if they're a closed community? Well, John right. Maxwell would tell you, you need to find some influencers in the community or you need to find certain people and leverage them to do it sure, for you sure. instead of you doing it. And so we just have to be aware of what is going to work and what's not going to work. That that's for city churches and everything. Uh, yeah, it's it's between, really knowing it, your context really, in a sense. Yeah. yeah, it really is important in the rule setting. Very important. Nice. Yeah. And I love those challenges because again, neither of what you, you know, the things you just mentioned, you know, that pace of change or or even understanding of the nature of your community, none of these are are even open criticisms. They're just they're just understandings of of the difficulty of a of a certain context. And uh and I love what you said, you know, of just of just trying to, uh, you know, find out the reasons why, because, uh, you know, a lot of issues, a lot of issues aren't, it's not even about you. It's just like, hey, this is something important to them. And and before you have the right to change anything, how are you going to, how are you going to do that if you don't take the time to say, hey, you guys obviously have a reason for living the way you live, doing what you do. And like, how can we honor that in a sense, you know? Yeah, I, I was going to say, you know, some of the misconceptions of rural, rural, um, areas for living. I mean, we do have the internet out here. Yeah, it's true. We yeah, do have electricity. Yeah, yeah, sure. We we yeah, do yeah. have flushing toilets. I mean, you right, know, we, right. the we classic have camaraderie of jokes. Yeah. I mean, some people think. I mean, Amazon does deliver to our doorstep. You know, it's usually a day later, but I'll you know I'll give them credit for yeah, coming. So <laughs> it takes a little longer. But I think some people have this misconception that rural ministry you're living in the boondocks, you know, you know, with the animals out in the forest somewhere, and that's not the case. Do we sacrifice some conveniences for the sake of living in rural areas? Yes, right. but. It's not near as much of a sacrifice today as it was 30 years ago, because right. there is a lot more opportunities to do things like this. I mean, the, the, a podcast like this would have never been available 30 years ago. Right, and right. The technology has helped the rural communities be able to connect with the outside world, so to speak. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, that's huge. Well, speaking of that, I have a question for you. So I know that uh, you mentioned to me that you have been bivocational all 30 years, uh, you know, of your, of your ministry first and again, Missouri, and then now in Ord. Um, and, and we've done, you know, some segments on this podcast about, you know, we, we could, we could pick your brain and say, what are the challenges there and the blessings? And maybe that's another podcast for another day. But what I want to focus on today is you mentioned that you have been kind of instrumental in doing the zoom call or this meeting where you meet with other pastors regularly and so maybe tell us about that group and then 
my real question is why does that have so much value for you? You know, like, like tell us why that matters so much. So, so describe this group and then tell us why, why you care about it so much. Well, all, all I have to, uh, the only thing I have to say on that is COVID. Yeah, that's true. began at all. Okay. So COVID happened and our district was struggling with how to connect with pastors and so our superintendent um, began a weekly Zoom call with the pastors on Mondays. He called it Monday Memos, met for an hour, would have guests on, et cetera. Well, then he approached me because he he and I have had a good relationship for uh, several years. And, and um, he approached me about doing something with bivocational pastors, pastors in rural communities, but really bivocational pastors. And um, because many of them aren't able to get to district functions, they're not able to take three days off from their secular job and go to district council. They're not able to go to this retreat or that retreat, take weeks off to go to camps or men's retreats or or things. You know, some of them are able to, their job's flexible enough. But when I worked at the bank, I I couldn't take off those those days. I, I mean, it just didn't it just didn't work. Um, so our superintendent approached me about about doing a trial run for bivocational. And so uh, about a little over a year ago, uh, I started doing uh, Zoom meetings uh, with bivocational pastors um, and many of the bivocational pastors, like I said, they they don't uh, they're not able to get to a lot of the activities, but they are able to jump on um, for an hour. And right, uh, so right. we, it's not travel. Do, it's not as much commitment. Yeah, right. I got you. Every every two months, so six times a year, we get together on a Zoom call. We'll meet in April, um, beginning of April, first um, first Thursday evening, and we'll jump on. and And there'll be anywhere from three or four of us to I think last time there was ten or eleven of us on there, and we'll talk about different challenges of of um, being bivocational. We have one guy that's been on pretty regularly. He's planting a church. He's never been bivocational before. So this is all new to him. We have one guy that he just, this is his first pastorate and he works for the local gas company doing gas lines. And he works 60 hours a week, a lot of times, and he's on call (laughs) on the weekends and, and how do I fit all this stuff in? And so it's an opportunity for us to connect, share insights. Some of us have been bivocational for years, some not so much. Um, I think the other day, about half of our uh, bivocational pastors were in technology area, like working technology at the school or at the hospital. So, um, you know, it, it's it's been a it's been an interesting eye opener. Not only how many bivocational pastors, but also other ministers. Um, we have we have some people that lead worship that were on the call. Um, there's a husband and wife team about 20 miles from me that that they pastor. They're both credential and they both work secular jobs. Uh, um, and you're seeing more and more of a trend. I think as a church, we have to make a decision. Are we going to go the path of one guy pastoring multiple churches? Oh, sure. Like, sure. like the Methodists sure. or other some other denominations? Or are we going to allow our pastors to be bivocational? Um, and, and I think the Assemblies of God has both. But I think the bivocational has been embraced by by more pastors, especially in your sure, rural Sure, areas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
it does give the benefit of being bivocational is it does give you some, um, and we've talked on our, our call about this, when the church is going through a tough time and all churches go through ups and downs, not only yeah. numerically, but financially, whenever your church is in a downward swing financially or having a struggle financially, when you have a secular job and you don't have to depend 100% on that church income, it helps you sleep a little better at night. It's true. I mean, it's just the fact. And probably even minister from a, from a different place, you know, when there's yeah. that. When there's a ministry of fear of like, man, if this goes under, I go under, you know, versus this whole like, right. hey, I can separate myself a little bit from from the work right. God's called me to do, you know. Well, it also helps, I think, uh, um, bivocational pastors, while it's a tremendous amount of stress and you don't get as much sleep as you probably should, etc. It does allow you an outlet for stress free because... Sure. Okay, if you're sitting in your office and you're at the church, you know, you got you're surrounded by the church. And so you're constantly thinking about the church. When you have to go to a secular job, whether it's three or four or five days a week or, or nine to five or whatever hours you work, you have an opportunity then to not think about the church. And I think That's that true. that is a healthy thing. Um, you know, when I worked at the bank, I had people call me at home and it's like, I don't, I can't help you with this at, from home. You have to call during banking hours. I mean, that's sure, just the sure. way it works. But when we're a pastor, it's 24 right. seven. And so when you can say, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't talk to you right now about this. I'm at my secular job, Sure, you know, let's make an appointment for later. I, sometimes that helps free our minds, get us out from underneath the pressure cooker of some of those things. And it gives us a great opportunity, especially in small areas to be out and among the community. Um, right. you know, I rub shoulders with people in the community that most of the other pastors will never rub shoulders with right. simply because I'm out among the people. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and what I love is, uh, it seems like this group that you've been meeting with, I mean, what a good opportunity to chat about everything you just said, you know, about, about walking through that, you know, I know that, um, you know, and we've talked a lot about it on this podcast, but one of the most encouraging things is when you can look across the table and understand that somebody gets what you're going through. It's just yeah. a really powerful, powerful thing that cannot be underestimated. And so, uh, and right. what I love about your idea is, uh, you know, whether a pastor's listening who's connected to a network like the Assemblies of God or or whether a pastor is just, you know, again, in the same town as another pastor, like camaraderie and fellowship is really only one Zoom call, one phone call one coffee time away, you know, and, and that's within all of our power. Right. It, it does require some initiative and it requires right. a little bit of, you know, that kind of willingness to put yourself out there. But, but again, loneliness in ministry takes us out and the, and the cure is represented in these kind of grassroots moments where you say, Hey, whether there's three or four of us or 10 or 11 of us, like we get to then walk together. And like that becomes, right. uh, you know, somebody's lifeline really, you know? Right. And, and you appreciate Oh, I, not only am I'm not the only one, but now, oh, I can pick up the phone and call this person. Mm -hmm. If I'm going through a tough time, I can call this person, not just me, but the other people on the calls. We're all kind of in this together. Yes, we live in different communities. We're doing different things. Sure, um, sure. It, it all looks different. I mean, some people, I, I have a great secular job where it's very flexible. I can move my my hours around when I need sure. to for funerals for this, that or the other. And that's great. I have a great, not everybody has a flexible job like that. And so- 
when they're feeling stressed, they could call me. And at my job, I, I can just talk to people while I'm working because I'm usually by myself. So that right. that those kinds of things kind of help. Um, I now have somebody to connect with. Right. No, yeah. that's huge. Well, uh, hey, let's keep looking at uh, maybe some other areas of your story. Sure. Uh, you know, for, uh, for this next question, you know, I know that you mentioned that in the course of time, you know, cause again, when you're in any place for a long period of time, you get to see the waves of transition and how things happen in a church. And so you mentioned that you've had, you know, dozens of people and family move away from your church. And so, so, um, and obviously, you know, it always seems like, man, five or six of those hit at the same time, but it seems like every time, I, I don't know if you felt this, but I've heard other pastors say like, man, every time it feels like we're we're hitting this great stride, great momentum, you know, then bam, yep. suddenly a bunch of people scatter or a pandemic happens or, or whatever right. else. So, so maybe, you know, from your vantage point of longevity, how is it that you have kept, you know, that spiritual momentum going, even when you go through those seasons of losing people, maybe give us some of those, hopefully yeah. spiritual tricks of the trade, if you will. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not sure what, um, if I have any, great solution for that sure um, sure but um you know it's hard i mean ministry anywhere is hard but in in small communities okay let's just take for instance the community that we live in we live in a we live in a town that the population today is just under 2200 2100 somewhere right around in there when we moved here 20 years ago the population was a little over 2,400. Sure. When we moved here, our county population was about 5,000, just a little under 5,000. Today, 20 years later, our population runs right around just a little over 4,000. Sure. Okay. So you're seeing, you're seeing our population drop or be stagnant. And that's sure. the way a lot of small rural communities are. And so when you have, we had one year where we had five, six families move away just, just from January to December. It just, it just put us yeah. in, it's just I mean, it was just a tough, tough year. Um, and uh, it hit us financially. It hit us numerically. It just, it just hit us. Um the problem with that is when those happen in lump sums, you're not getting new people into the community right. itself to even go after them to to draw them into your church sure. or to draw them into the kingdom. So it, it really is a challenge. It's a slow creep um, that that makes it hard to grow a church in uh, when the community is declining. And that's, I, I mean, it's hard. But one of the things I have found is that you you have to be very consistent. One of the things that I um, that somebody mentioned to me the other day um, that I found refreshing was that they said, you're consistent. If we've got 50 hmm. people here, if we've got 70 people here, if we've got 20 people here, you 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 still preach, you still teach, you still treat us the same. Mm. And I think that's important that we as pastors are to be the leaders. Are we discouraged when those kinds of ups and downs right. happen and, and, and problems happen in our church? Absolutely. We're discouraged. We may be devastated. But the thing, the thing about being a leader is that you can't, you can't live that out in front of your people on Sunday mornings. 
They're there to receive from God. They're there to get to have a fresh word from from God's word. And so we have to prepare the same way. We have to uh, be the same. We, we have to prepare for kids the same. We have to continue to reach out to our community. We may have to do things a little differently sure, uh, because some things have changed, but at the, same, yeah. at the same time, we can't if if we're going to be tossed by every wind or wave that comes along sure. our way, then then the devil's just going to constant have this constant chaos in our in our church. You know, it, yeah. there's going to he's going to he's going to work it where there's this constant chaos that's going to keep us off balance all the time. And so, you know, cry and weep about it in your private time cry on your spouse's shoulder, you know, talk to your pastor friends about it, you know, talk to your district officials about it. But sure. when you stand in front of your church, you, they're looking to you for stability. Yeah. And, and when, because they're feeling it too, these are their yeah. friends that moved away. These are their, yeah. their comer, people that they eat at fellowship lunch with on a, after a Sunday morning service, they sit across from each other and visit and their kids play together. And now all of a sudden they're gone. And so they're hurting too. And so we need to be like doctors, not exacerbate the wounds of the church, but try to heal uh, through being consistent. Wow. And that's powerful. I mean, consistency communicates value because how many of us have been guilty of, of just looking out and going, man, there's just not, and it is discouraging and it's hard to overcome, man. That's cool. Yeah, go ahead. My first church we went to, there was six little old ladies in Missouri. All their whole goal in life was to keep the church going and pay the bills. That was all they, that was their whole thing. They were all on fixed, fixed income. They all sure. were retired, and 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 you, when you walk into that, it's kind of hard to preach hellfire and brimstone and bring the you know, I mean, right. And so I, whenever things aren't going well, I think back to that time, and I think back to that those moments when there was just six, and you prepare the same way, you prepare the same amount of hours, you study just as hard. And you and you give them a fresh word. May it will it look different when there's six compared to a hundred? Yes, it may look sure. a little different in your delivery, but your preparation and your stability and consistency that should not waver. People need Jesus in rural America. Just like Glenn Damon wrote in his book, The Forgotten Church, he said the mm-hmm. priority is not where people live, but where there is a person who needs the gospel. Yeah, that's good stuff. Well, hey, let's uh, let's continue on, you know, through your story. One of the things you mentioned to me that really piqued my interest, only because we're always looking for ideas, right? I mean, you know, we we've done, you know, the VBSs and the outreaches and these different things, but but I know that you had mentioned that over the, you know, kind of the last twenty years, that your church has tried really hard to get creative uh, with outreach and like what that looks. And so maybe um, maybe you know, for the sake of time, we'll say take two of your most kind of fun ideas and say, hey, here's what we did. Just to just even for a pastor tuning in to say, well, maybe I should try that. But, but like, what are two of these ideas that you did to reach out to your community? Well, one of the things I would say about that is, don't stop trying new things. I think Very sometimes advice, we yeah. get we get so zeroed in on what has worked in the past. Like VBS, you brought you mentioned VBS. Sure, yeah. 
we had a great VBS program in Missouri. Um, it really drew kids into our into our children's church on Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings was a huge deal. We got to Ord and children's church. While we have it, it has not been what we had in Missouri. It just just sure. so we we tried VBS. It just it just didn't work. And so we kept trying, kept trying. Well, about uh, around 10 years ago, we started an after-school program on Wednesdays. Uh, so we actually pick the kids up from school and bring them over to our church, um, which is just a mile. It's not very far, but sure. um, so, and we started our after-school program from 3.30 to 5, and we run it like a, we run it like a VBS. We run it sure. like a um uh, like a, um, uh, you know, a station type of VBS. Sure, sure. And so we have an opening, we have a snack, we have an opening time, and then they'll, we break them up into, now we do four groups because we've gotten so big, but um, sure. early on we did two or three groups. And so then they, they spend 15 minutes or so in each group doing a learning Bible story, playing a game, having a craft, and then watching a Bible story video that goes along with the theme for the day. Oh, and nice. so we, People, people say, what, what about your VBS? Is that, we do VBS every week during school. <laughs> All the time. Yeah. You're like, Listen. all the time. I yeah. mean, you know, and so, and my wife is great about organizing that, finding free material. We don't spend a lot of money, the snacks, people in the church make food and bring it. Um, we, you know, craft stuff, people bring in supplies for us. We do buy a few supplies, but, but, uh, you can find a lot of free stuff out there on YouTube and, and, uh, on Pinterest and, and places like that. My wife's really big into the Pinterest, but, um, sure, sure. you can find a lot of great free items. You know, there's no reason to spend tons of money in order to do something like that. We do it for, I don't even know if we spend 500 bucks a year. For everything, oh, wow. I mean, we just don't. Our church is, doesn't have a lot of money. We're, sure. we're, we're we 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 have a very limited budget, and so but we're able to do this because people come, people help, people, and we have seven or eight volunteers that come and and help and do this and do that, and and uh, so that's been a huge thing for us. In fact, this next Wednesday we're going to have a supper for our um, the parents of our kids and and our teenagers and we're gonna because about half of our our after school program kids don't go to church anywhere oh wow the weekends not they have no church affiliation now some of them will say well i'm catholic or what well when's right. the last a nominal year? association yeah. sure, well, but maybe well, not a they, they don't even yeah. they're not even ceos they don't even right. go christmas and easter only i mean right, you know right. they don't nowhere so um and so then we're going to, we have a, on Good Friday, we have a stations, kind of, not a stations of the stations cross, of the cross have, but similar vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A similar lot of churches that. do that. Yeah. And so we're, we will invite our kids to that. Uh, this is our second year for it. We'll invite our kids and their parents to come to that and uh, just trying to find ways to connect with the families and, and through the supper, through relationships. We had one gal that she is just brutally honest. I love her. Uh, like Dr. Mark Rutland uh, said in a sermon, I, I heard him preach. He said, I would love to have a few hypocrites. He said, sure. people are just blatantly sinful in the church and out of the church, and they don't care. And this gal, she just, 
she just lays it out there. She's not a Christian. She doesn't go to church anywhere, but her kids come to our after-school program. And she told us one time, she said, I'm so glad you have that on Wednesdays because then I can get off of work and I can go to the bar before I pick up my kid from your <laughs> church. Program. You can't make these stories up, you know? You're like, well, God, you know, I'd love to get her into church because if she had saved, she's yeah, you know, you're going to know yeah. it because she's going to be so different. And so um, that's one thing. Um, you know, we've tried a lot of different things through the years, um, uh, different different programs. I, I think our after school program, kids stuff is pretty easy to do. Yeah, um, for sure. But, you know, we I mean, I could go on and on and on, but we have a local food pantry that's run by the Methodist Church here in town. And uh, they're open every week. And so um, about um, three years ago, we had our church secretary and a very key leader in our church was killed in a car accident. Oh, wow. And um, she was hit by a somebody that was just out of their mind on drugs, head oh, on, sure. just killed her instantly. And, and so after that took place, we, she was a very, she was the type of person that she, she heard that you're having a bad day and she'd show up on your doorstep with, uh, sure. she wasn't much of a cook, but she'd buy something at, um, at the local pizza place that was out of the freezer and that you could pop it in the oven whenever you wanted to, you know, kind of thing. She, she was that type of person. She'd show up. Well, uh, just a couple of weeks before she died, she gave my wife a basket of uh of just little creams and stuff but it had a little it had a little um plaque in there that had a that had a just two words on there it just said choose joy mm -hmm. and so after her death that following year the whole entire year we did we we called it choose joy year we're oh, going to wow. take this tragedy and we're going to turn it in for good and it was just right at the time that covid hit oh wow. and so we we masked up and we took bags to all the kids in our church and hung them on their doors of activities and Bible stories and things. And, and just, we put a little note in there, choose joy through all of this. And we, we got together and potted plants and just randomly took them around town to people that we knew were going through a hard time, whether, wow. wherever they went to church. And, and um, we just did some things like that. One of the things that we did for our local food pantry was, um, my wife grew up poor. She was a she was one of those bus kids. Sure, you know, sure, sure. She grew up in the city too. And um she said there are a lot of kids that never had a birthday party. Oh, and wow. so we made up birthday bags. We we went out and got a got a happy birthday bag. Uh, gift bag, you know, and then we put a cake and uh, an icing in there. Birth, happy birthday banner. Put in uh, candles. Let's see, um, confetti. I mean, we balloons. We put in everything you need for a birthday in a bag, and then we just put a little note in there that says, "In memory of of this gal, sure, Sandy," sure. and um, and choose joy through, through the difficulties wow. of life. And, and we put those then at the local food pantry for somebody to, you know, if they have a birthday in their family, when they're getting food, they can, they can get a bag like that. And so it's just kind of trying to be creative with different ideas like that. Um, Kent Anderson um, with rural compassion, just, I mean, he yeah, is, we've had him on the podcast before. He actually. has tons of different <laughs> ideas. We've had him here for training a couple of times at our church and he has all kinds of ideas about reaching your community. So, yeah. Well, that's awesome.
man. Yeah. That is just such a touching story. And, and, it, and it really is just the lives of these individuals, you know, and, and we don't even know how they, how they touch us and touch the community. Well, Hey, I, yeah. I do want to end with a question, you know, and, and we'll keep yeah. it again, brief for the sake of time. But, sure. but when I asked you about a, a life lesson and this one's just a simple, you know, nice grab at the end of this podcast here, but you mentioned the word plod and that's not exactly an attractive word to say or to sound out. Um, but you mentioned that it was a word that had an impact on you. So why don't you briefly just tell us the story about where that word came into play in your life and how it sustained you uh, through 30 years of ministry. Yeah. Well, when I was in Bible college, we had a, um, Dean, Dean Kirsch. I looked up his name, who it was. Dean Elmer Kirsch was the, uh, Dean of students at, uh, Bible college. And, um, he preached the most boring sermon that I've (laughs) ever heard in my life. I've heard hundreds of sermons in my lifetime and I can remember a few of them and I can remember a few of them that were really, you know, great sermons. I can, I can remember, you know, lots about it, but Dean Kirsch, I don't remember anything about this sermon except that he was very boring and he had the word plod (laughs) and he would say this, he would go P L O D plod. (laughs) And he must have said that 50 times in that Uh sermon, plod, P-L-O-D. And he had something for the P-L-O-N-D. He had different words. And I don't remember anything about that. You know, all that stuff, yeah. I just remember that. And that has stuck with me all my life. And, you know, things don't change a lot in rural life. Sure. Things don't change a lot in rural churches. Sure. I mean, they do change some, but it, it's very slow. And, and and you might do some new things and have some new cr- programs, but the reality of rural ministry is it's about applauding every day in the relationships that you're building with people in the community mm-hmm. and in the church. And I, I think sometimes we miss sight in all of the you know, smoke and lights of ministry, so to speak. Sure. Wanting to, yeah, wanting to do well, wanting to push, yeah. wanting to innovate. Wanting to do this, that, and and just really, it really is about how Jesus did it. He talked to people. He, he told Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Now, I've not mm. been bold like that before and walked up to somebody and saying, I'm coming oh, to sure, your house yeah. for supper. But yeah, yeah. in in rural areas, when you know people, you can you sometimes you could say, "Hey, um, I need to stop by for a little bit, you know, to visit with you." If the supper's on the table, that's great, you know. But um, we we it it really is that plotting and building of relationships. You have to understand that population of rural ministry doesn't change a lot. I I have never seen anybody write a book. How do you witness to somebody that you're going to see all the time? Yeah, because it's a different, because like we talk about street witnessing yeah. all the time. Yeah, we'll go up, have a one-time interaction with a stranger, see if they're responding. You're going to go through these points. You're going to go through the How am I going to walk? Yeah, for sure. How am I going to do that over and over? And, and hmm. so we, when I was in Bible college, that was the thing. You know, everything was about street witnessing, these, these sure. one-offs. You know, how do you lead a person to the Lord? Da, da, da. 
But but rural ministry is really about the plotting. It's about the relationship building. It's about doing the right things. It's about everybody. When you're in rural ministry, you think you're in a bubble in the city. You're in a bubble in rural ministry because everybody knows what you're doing. I We've got this huge lawn that we have to mow and it's it got a big hill by the church and our, and our backyard is huge at the parsonage. And, and uh, I don't know how many people... Right, we're right on a highway. I don't know how many people we see. Hey, I saw you mowing the other day. Hey, yeah, I saw you. Ridiculous. I saw you out playing with your dog in the backyard the other day. Hey, I. Hey, your, your garden's looking good. I'm convinced in a rural town that if if someone wanted to start an affair, I'm pretty sure everyone might know even before that person knew they were in an affair. You know, like that's oh, how yeah. that's how much the exactly. pressure just feels. You're like, wow, I saw someone's exactly. car over there and now now there's all these rumors and it's bonkers you know it, we we started doing our garden a little different one year several years ago and somebody said what are you doing in your garden <laughs> like, what do you what do you mean well, I drove by and i saw this and i saw it looks like you got little little um little wagons out there and i well we're covering our plans to protect them you know so it's just funny you can't you can't hide things and so that's really where the plotting comes in it's doing the right things mm continually you can't be in rural areas you cannot be one way one time and another way the next time it just does not work um that people want to see consistency you need to pay do something really spiritual pay your bills on time honestly it's just the little pay things. your bills on time, time after time yep you know, I, I think as Christians, our, our, our lawns should look nice. Our, 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 you know, the, the facades, every, everything we should keep up on things because people watch our lives. And as pastors, especially people are watching our lives and it's a real struggle, but we can't throw in the towel or stop trying. That's, that's the whole thing. That's where the plotting comes in. Sure, we plot sure. every day. Nice. Well, hey, uh, we could definitely continue on with this. And I've just enjoyed every facet of this conversation. I think it's going to make for, yeah, just one heck of a resource for someone tuning in today. But uh, Pastor Tom, I just want to say thanks for being on today, man. I've really appreciated it. Hey, thanks for having me, Joe. Boy, I really I really like these kinds of interactions and picking people's brains and trying to learn some new things. And and uh, I, I, I've enjoyed listening to the podcast from your, from your website that, that I've listened to so far. And I, I'm excited about what you have in the future. Awesome. Well, thanks. And and from, from us at Rural Advancement, we just want to take a second and say thank you for tuning in today. Um, again, this podcast is by Rural Leaders and for Rural Leaders. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on uh, Apple Podcasts, on our website, www.ruraladvancement.com. But as always, uh, the best way to spread the word about this podcast is just to uh, tell somebody about it who might need it, who might benefit from one of these conversations. Uh, but for now, I've been your host, Joe Epley. He has been Pastor Tom Brickholder, and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.